electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the countdown to the biggest earnings night of the season. Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet all reporting, along with some other big names, too. We debate what all of it means to the tech trade that is running again, thanks to that meta blowout. Super investor Brad Gerstner joining me in just a moment. The committee also here today joining me for the hour. Bryn Talkington, Rob Seach, and Steve Weiss, and Josh Brown. Let's go to the wall. Let's see what the markets are doing. It's a NASDAQ kind of day today, as I know you know by now. Look at that, near 3%, more than 300. 12,150 for the NAS, Meta leading the way there, but all big caps are up too in anticipation of what may come tonight. Dow's given back 163 a day after the Fed. Yields lower today, 337, the yield on the 10-year note. We're going to get to everything. I do want to bring in our halftime headliner today. You know him. He's an investor uh, who went public months ago with his growing frustrations over Meta spending and its focus. Brad Gerstner is his name. He is the founder and CEO of Altimeter Capital. It's good to see you again. Uh, boy, have times changed. I guess they listened to you. Well, it's great to be here, Scott. And, you know, far from listening to me, you know, I, as you remember, I said at the time, this wasn't just a message to, uh, to Meta or to Facebook or to Mark. It's really a message to all of us. Coming out of the zero rate world where we hired excessively, this age of excess, and I think I have to start by just saying credit where credit's due. I mean, that was an incredible call, incredible turnaround in terms of management by Mark, by Susan, the team, by the entire board, by Mark Andreessen, Drew, Tony, Cheryl Sandberg. You don't see companies at this scale with that agility. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we heard last night was a significant change. And I think it's really important to understand that Mark said this isn't one and done. The headline of the call was efficiency. The second headline of the call was AI. This company is in a position to get more inventive, more agile, more fast in terms of its invention around AI as a result of what they did yesterday. Mentioned efficiency 18 times, mentioned AI 22 times. This brings into balance what this company uh, it was all about. It's an AI first company, more an AI company than it is a VR company. Um, And Mark said he himself was surprised as they got into this process. He thought that efficiency was just about hitting a profit objective, but discovered that actually it made people happier, right? The best developers in the world want to work in places where they see their products, they see their inventions get launched, where things are moving faster. He talked last night, there's more work to be done around middle management, et cetera. They have a hiring freeze on in the company. I think this is not only great for Meta, but it's really leadership for all of Silicon Valley and all of technology in how we can move forward in a way that capitalizes on all these great uh, developments in AI, but does so responsibly 
in a balanced way that brings owners, developers, all the stakeholders along for the ride. You know, Kramer called it today a, a transformational call for shareholders. I mean, but let's let's be honest, you know, you doubted in in some regard that they would get to this day. And if they were going to get to this day, I think it's fair to say you weren't so sure that it was going to be as fast as they apparently have found religion on the issues that made you so uncomfortable, not, you know, a couple handfuls of months ago. Well, you know, as you know, um, you know, I, I, I think that I was constructive all along. We have a big position. It's one of our biggest positions, of course, as a shareholder. When we go through what we went through last year, where growth stocks multiples are compressing, where revenue is decelerating, they had their first year of negative revenue growth in 2022. And I, I might say that like the Fed, they were a little slow to adapt in the first part of the year. But man, did they, did they really turn that around? And what I'm most excited about in the future is not the fact that you're gonna go from 86,000 employees to 75,000 employees. But I was really happy last night to hear Mark say that it's made the place fun again, that people are getting excited about being able to do things faster. Because when you compress the layers in an organization, you get to more productivity. And that's really what this is about. The next five to 10 years, they're one of the best positioned companies to capitalize on this move to AI. He said last night that they're going to thread the LLMs, you know, these models which sit at the heart of AI. They're gonna thread generative AI through all of their products, right? That is significant. And he also said, listen, we haven't achieved, we, we, yes, we had a reduction in force, but that wasn't the end state. We still have a hiring freeze and we still have a ways to go. I mean, remember, Oculus itself has more employees in it. Reality Labs has more employees than Netflix, right? So all of Silicon Valley, they doubled, they tripled the number of employees over the last several years. So there's a real opportunity now to grow for years without dramatically increasing the size uh, of these workforces. And we heard that loud and clear last night. Did you have a chance to speak to Zuckerberg directly since the results came out? I have not. I have not. You know, I want to, you know, like I said, I want to thank them. They've been incredibly gracious, uh, you know, and, and communicative, uh, as I think they probably are to all their, you know, larger shareholders. And, you know, somebody said, I saw on Twitter, somebody said, you know, this is the type of activism that works in Silicon Valley. And, you know, we see letters going to Google and, and all the stuff going on at Salesforce. And, you know, what I think is really important to understand is we shouldn't consider a, a, a communication to a management team or an open letter to be activism, right? At the end of the day, we're owners, we're participants in these companies. We have a lot on the line. I represent endowments and charitable foundations. And so they expect me to express our opinions when we have uh, opinions that we think are constructive. And what I'll say about Facebook and Meta is that they've been incredible in hearing us out and, and, and I'm sure they've heard others out and in moving. And I'm not so uh, you know arrogant as to believe that we charted the course here. The fact of the matter is the board and the leadership of this company charted the course, and I think they're charting the course in the right direction. I can't help but wonder, though, um, because you have taken activist positions before. Here, it's obviously difficult, to say the least, if not impossible, because of the dual class of, of shares. Had the structure been different, would you have considered being an activist 
a pure activist in this name if you could? Not a chance. Not a chance. Part of the reason I'm in this company is because I believe in Mark Zuckerberg. Um, you know, he's he, as I love founder led businesses and ultimately it's his decision. He controls the business. Had he not gone in this direction, I have a choice. I can sell my shares and I can move on to companies that I think are pointed more in the right direction. But far from doing that, what I've seen out of this company doubles my belief in why you want to be behind founder led companies, because they can move quicker um, you know, when the when, when the leader acts. And so for me, it was never a choice mm. around trying to shake up the board or anything else. Um, it was really about trying to send a message not only to Meta, but frankly, to reflect the voice of all Silicon Valley. We talked about this on the All In pod last fall. All of Silicon Valley had gotten you know, really uh, intoxicated by zero interest rates. The hiring accelerated at a rate we've never seen before. And unfortunately, that meant that the cycle time on invention, the cycle time on productivity, it's a well-kept, it, it, you know, it, it, it's a well-known secret in Silicon Valley that whether it's Google or Amazon or Meta, right, launches, getting new products into the market slowed down as they increased the number of employees. It didn't accelerate. And so, you know, I loved hearing Mark say last night, we're, good, we're evaluating middle management, we're evaluating projects that we don't think are, you know, crossing the threshold in terms of delivering on our priorities as a company. And most importantly, to hear how excited he was about generative AI, um, right, really helping not only to drive recommendations across advertisings and content, and they're killing it on Reels versus TikTok, where we're also investors, but, you know, also to hear how they're going to use it to create new products. Think of Lenza, you know, this, this wildfire application where people are making you know, fun pictures of themselves, reports out there that it's making a million dollars a month, right? Like that should exist on Instagram, right? They have 3 billion users around the world who are looking to do fun stuff, to connect, to have, you know, uh, fun avatars, et cetera. And so I think we're, you know, looking at a company that has all the distribution in the world, still growing the number of users. I mean, I was blown away by the engagement on Facebook. Everybody in New York and San Francisco says that Big Blue is dead, but far from being dead, they were growing engagement and the ad efficiency, right, was increasing, um, mm -hmm. you know, on Big Blue. And so I think that, again, if this was just about a cut of 10,000 employees and, and you get a little bit more profit because you cut 10,000 employees, I wouldn't be excited. What I'm excited is what I'm seeing in terms of the underlying business and the restructuring they're doing to even accelerate that further. There, there are a lot of things to get to uh, with you today, including a new position that we've learned about that I'll, I'll get to in, in a little bit. But my team's with me today, as, as always. And, you know, it's so interesting, Rob Seachin, as you listen to, to Brad, I think it was a little controversial, we, we felt, when you made Meta one of your three stock summit picks at the beginning of this year. Right. Not knowing what the future was going to hold. You, you went out on the, you know, the edge of the high dive and I, I guess you you went into the water. OK. Yeah, we went in on December 16th. We talked about it on the show a little later, Scott. The thesis was it was our friends in low places trade, the Garth Brooks trade. Um, it was cheap after a truly abysmal uh, 2022. They had already seen a meaningful reset in earnings and expectations, uh, EPS was cut 45%. And obviously the news yesterday, we love how positive it is. Everybody loves to be up 
this early on a position that they take and, and, and you know, look smart from a timing perspective. Um, it's clear that they took their eye off the ball in their core, highly profitable uh, part of their business. And instead of trying to fix that mess, they focused on an expensive metaverse, which was unproven. And thanks to guys like Brad, who, who, uh, who kind of pointed this out, I think what it shows is that leadership is willing to listen. They're willing to listen and they're focused on their business. And this pivot was massively important. And the fact that Zuckerberg is going to focus on base hits instead of home runs is excellent. And I think it's a wake-up call, and this is to Brad's point too, to uh, other tech companies that are flush with cash um, that they can make moves like this and be opportunistic when times are tough. Take the share buyback, for example. Mm -hmm. So. Um, these are all very positive signs, and we'll see you know, what other tech companies are able to learn from this playbook. I think the last thing that I would say for tech, and I'd be curious as to what Brad has to say about it, but this is all a sign that these businesses are maturing and that growth rates are slowing slightly in the future, and decisive leadership matters, and the ability to be decisive is predicated on having the cash and the insight to do it. We'll, we'll get to that for certain. Josh, you were sitting with me as these numbers hit, and you know, it was like holy, you know what? When you saw the stock was up five percent, then it was seven, and then it was ten, and then it was fifteen. How do you now? Some, you know, not twenty-four hours later, but enough time has passed that you've had a chance to digest it. I think, to Rob's credit, and to many of the other people who either were in Facebook and stuck it out or who were new to the story. I think what what they recognized here, and you can make this case for a lot of other stocks, is that, yes, there were challenges, but no, the decline in share price did not accurately reflect the extent of the challenges. One of the things about Meta, and by extension, I think, Alphabet, which I, which I own, one of the things about these companies that it's easy to forget, but it's important not to forget, is that they all own printing presses that print dollar bills in the basement. So when you walk in the lobby, you might not like what you immediately see, but in the end, when you have the financial flexibility, you can orchestrate your own tur uh, turnaround. The failed turnarounds that, that we live through as investors or that we witness others live through are the ones where companies are running out of money. And they don't have the ability to pivot or to be agile or to make big changes or to boldly go in a new direction. That was never going to be the case with, uh, with, with Meta, with Alphabet. You know, Amazon's going to report tonight. Uh, last year probably was their, uh, the first unprofitable year they've had since 2014. But again, these are companies that literally print their own money. Mm -hmm. So they will figure it out. And we have the result of that figuring it out process from Meta right now in front of us. So, Brad, you know, Josh raises an interesting point here about the, you know, the, the declines and the overshoot that he, you know, saw in, in Meta and others have, you know, wondered about in some of these other mega cap names. I notice, and I think this is new, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you have a small position in, in Alphabet. Do, do, do you take what happened with the decline in the, the shares and the compression of the multiple, but now with the results that Meta delivered as a definitive sign that these things overshot on the way back 
and the valuations got too cheap and they're quote unquote safe again? Yeah, I mean, Josh, you made a great point, but I just want to correct one thing. They don't print dollar bills in the basement. They print billion dollar bills in the basement. Um, these are Fair the enough, most profitable, <laughs> these are the most profitable companies in the history of capitalism, and they have it all within their own control. Secondly, you know, the phrase that I would use is a phrase that Mark used on the call last night. Phase change. We're going through a massive phase change, not only for these companies, Amazon, Google, Meta, but we're also going through a phase change for the economy. You know, let's not forget the single biggest tailwind that's occurring for all of these stocks last uh, 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 that we're talking about is that the second derivative on rates and inflation is now getting better. And last year, it was getting worse the entire year. As you remember, rewind the clock, Scott, I was with you in October of 21, and I said, rates are going back to where they were in January 2020. It's normalization post-COVID. And when that occurs, it's going to feel catastrophic for growth stocks, even though it's just normalization. Well, all of 22 felt catastrophic. But now we're largely through it. We have a Fed who's you know, taught, I think they used the word deflation 10 times yesterday uh, in their press conference. There's a phase change that we're going through. Of course, we still have inflation. Of course, rates are still a little bit higher. But the 10-year is now at 335. That's roughly the same area that it was in, right, in December or in January of 2019. The 10-year average pre-COVID was 2.6. We're within 70 basis points of that. So the phase change means we have a tailwind on multiples for all these stocks. Secondly, we have a reacceleration in revenue growth at Google, at Meta. And third, we have these companies, right, acknowledging that they have the opportunity to be more efficient. Those three forces combined are really powerful forces for 2023. Now, we're not out of the woods on any of those things, but I think you would be, you know, you would be remiss to underestimate the relative tailwind that gets created by those forces. So, Steve Weiss, I mean, the, the, the suggestion here is that, you know, the Fed has ostensibly, you know, green-lighted the growth trade again. That's, that's what in part happened yesterday. Do, do you agree with that? I, I, I don't think that was their intention, but uh, clearly that's what came out of it, and that's what people perceive. What I see is, uh, is a company that added through a conference call and cutting their CapEx by $10 billion, added $100 billion to the market cap. So you can tell me how that makes sense. So look, so I've missed this move in Facebook. Um, I'm still not sure the metaverse is going to drive and take place, you know, past the, the baton of growth over to, um, over, you know, from their core businesses, traditional core businesses. I'll wait. Uh, you know, when, when I sold Facebook a long time ago, I said, I hate betting against Mark Zuckerberg, but just think about it. You need the market to come and tell him that you're spending too much money, right? And he listened and responded. So you need the market to come and tell him again. But this is a bigger issue now, right? This is a bigger issue. You you know, use use what Meta delivered last night to tell me what might happen tonight in overtime, right? right? Alphabet, Amazon, Apple. I mean, I think there's, this is the greatest debate in the market right now, okay? Is the the move to the laggards of last year legit? 
is it is it I, a hedge fake that is. should be sold? Maybe Meta I, says no. It's 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 okay. Valuations have come down too much. It's time to get back in. Well, first of all, overall valuations have not come down too much. They've actually increased. So you're at a Ford PE now of over 18 times, despite the fact you've seen earnings continue to decline. So you've had multiple expansion. And that multiple got to where it was because you had free money. So Brad's right. You take a look at the 10-year, use this your indication. But I think that's an artificial indication. I think what you're benefiting from over the last year is clearly free money that was really never reflected in in uh, treasuries. So, look, so I think the market keep going. I've added exposure. I actually, you know, after I spoke to, to Patty, I bought some Alphabet because it doesn't matter what these companies say. We're taking a company, Facebook, that was down, revenues were down almost 5% and added $100 billion. Now, you can look out ahead, and I think that the market looks good for the first half because the market, because the market is just investors just focused on that little data point that's positive. Here they cut their capex down by ten billion. That's where I talked from it. I thought that was very positive, not a hundred billion positive. Not putting a ten multiple on that, but I think that no matter what Google says, no matter what Amazon says, that they may tick down, but then it's off to the races, as we saw with Microsoft. So, Bryn, leave us with a thought. Leave us with a thought here. We're going to slip in a break after Bryn. We'll come back. We got a lot more ahead with Brad Gerstner. We haven't even had a chance to hear from you yet, Bryn. Yeah, so I think, first of all, the Fed definitely greenlit the growth stocks and the high beta trade. That being said, some of these stocks deserve to be here and some of them don't. You know, how is Snap up? It was up 9% before the show. Bed Bath & Beyond was up 30% over the last few days. I think Facebook is a really unique story because, in my opinion, I owned it for a minute last year and I couldn't take that. I felt like Zuckerberg was being dogmatic, not pragmatic. And I think because of Brad's note, he got pragmatism into his business. I don't think, though, that an Amazon is the same as a Facebook. And I think multiples do matter. And so I still believe that you're going to have dispersion, not right now, but throughout the year, you're going to have dispersion of return within tech stocks. I think Tesla was too cheap. Obviously, Facebook was too cheap because stocks like Snap or some of the high beta, low growth, no multiple stocks, I think will go back down. And so I think investors need to be aware that this is not just going to be a rising tide, I don't think, for the whole year with tech. And you want to be discerning and buy companies that have the ability to have margins, that have leverage in their balance sheet, and not just pay, play that FOMO trade. Because we've earned a year of return in, in the first, the first you know, Four weeks. month and one day of, <laughs> yeah. of the year. All right. Yeah, let's, exactly. Yeah, let's do this. Let's slip in a break. We come back. We'll, we're going to keep Brad Gerstner around. Uh, he's generous with his time today. Uh, which is great news for all of you. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back on the Halftime Report. Brad Gerstner, he's the founder and CEO of Altimeter Capital. He is still with us. So, you know, maybe we'll end up looking back at this period as the, the valuation reset overshoot on a number of different levels. Uh, stock prices, too. Uh, who knows? Um, but NVIDIA, OK, I, I go to it here because that is, I think, your newest position which you were buying in December and more in January. This is emblematic in many ways of what we witnessed last year in tech and what we've seen to start this year, isn't it? It got absolutely clobbered, and now it's up like 60% since the very start of the year. What attracted you to that name to make it? You, don't, you have a pretty concentrated book. Why this? Well, you know, we, we, we've long admired, um, you know, NVIDIA, it, it, its leader, Jensen, and, you know, the central role that they play in AI. And over the course of the last two years, we've seen a massive acceleration um, evidenced by OpenAI and the work that Microsoft's doing, what Google's doing, et cetera. And now everybody's become familiar with it with ChatGPT of the significance and importance of AI. And, you know, the market, frankly, gave us an opportunity to get into the name in a meaningful way. And I would say there are a couple of things that played into that. Number one, we talked about it just now, growth multiples for all growth stocks compressed because of these concerns about macro. Where would rates stop? Where would inflation stop? So that opened the door. And then there were two idiosyncratic concerns as they related uh, to NVIDIA, which was the revenues they derived from crypto and the revenues that they derive from gaming. And so people expected you to see headwinds in those revenues. And then on top of that, people thought data centers might slow down as companies like, uh, you know, Meta pull in on their CapEx. But what we heard last night from Mark and what we've heard from, you know, many other companies is quite the opposite. You see Microsoft making a $10 billion investment in open AI. You see Mark saying this is going to be the year of AI at Meta right? Building augmented and intelligent applications on top of all the world's data, which is moving into the cloud, is a super cycle. And NVIDIA is the, the, the tool, the silicon that sits at the very heart of that super cycle. We certainly didn't expect it to re-rate as quickly as it has, but I would say it's benefiting from the same forces that we talked about, right? Multiples are expanding off of their all-time lows, because of uh, what we've seen in terms of inflation rolling over in the Fed. And number two, the concerns over crypto and gaming are now largely behind us. And people are focused on the H100, the A100s. Our expectation about revenue growth in the back half is accelerating. We're ahead of the street, not only for 23, but we're ahead of the street for 24 and 25. I think the importance of the software layer, CUDA, which sits on top of the silicon, Right, which I think has something like three million developers now building for it, is 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 pretty un underestimated. Every single startup that we talk to in the AI space 
would love to get their hands on an H100, would love to get their hands uh, on more compute because it's an essential ingredient uh, to all the AI stuff that you're, mm-hmm. you hear us talking about. Bryn, you first, and then Josh, because you both own it. Right. So, I mean, I've held it through the cycle. I feel that NVIDIA is the circulatory system to all of the hard things that we are going to be doing in technology. And so whether it's data center, whether it's gaming, it's just like, and Jensen Wong is just executed for for decades, by the way. And so talk about a a great founder. Um, He's just continued to be at the forefront. And so I think there's lots of lots of runway for this company, even though it doesn't have a low multiple. And I've talked about this before. Don't get hang up on multiples when you can have multiple expansion through growth and innovation. And I feel that the growth and innovation within technology is once again at the epicenter with NVIDIA. Josh? I think uh, I think the emergence of chat GPT about three months ago um, really is like a nuclear bomb going off. And we will be feeling the effects of that detonating for the next five years. I think like AI is going to be it's it's something that technology people have been talking about for a long time now. But now there's a product that the consumer actually can interact with a five year old could interact with ChatGPT. ChatGPT is everything that they said Bitcoin would be, but failed to be, right? Bitcoin was just something that really uh, is still inaccessible 15 years later, and nobody actually uses it for anything other than to trade it or to trade other coins based on it. ChatGPT is the real thing. It's here. And what Brad said is right. NVIDIA is not just the silicon. It's an entire suite, a full-stack software suite that enables all of the enterprises that are curious about this buzzword AI, how do I incorporate this into my business? You can't get around NVIDIA once you go down that road. You literally can't. Um, So it is sitting at the center of all of this, and it is more than just chips. It is the platform upon which just about everyone is going to build their AI strategy. So just like five years ago, everyone was trying to figure out what's my my crypto strategy, that really didn't go anywhere for anyone. What's my AI strategy it has an immediate impact on your business right now. Um, and it's a very simple idea. You cannot do this with linear computing, with CPUs. You need parallel processing. That's why graphics processing units, GPUs, are the answer. And NVIDIA has been working on this for decades. So that, you know, that's why I've been able to hold on to the stock through the whole down cycle and now the whole way back up. And, you know, frankly, I wish there were five other stocks that I could look at and choose between, but it's really this is the one for me. And, Brad, you know, when you look at how some of these stocks have rebounded, like, uh, you know, NVIDIA has, I can't help but think of Tesla. And, you, you know, Tesla went from 100 to 200 in, I don't know, three weeks. You're a Tesla shareholder. I use it as an example of what's going on in the market. Is all of this just justified? Legit? Well, first, I have to say, Josh is on fire today. He just nailed that uh, about what's going on at NVIDIA and the differentiator there. Um, and, and, and going back to what Bryn said earlier, you know, there is going to be dispersion in this market, right? A lot of pretenders are getting pulled up in the wash here. And, uh, you know, there are very few, like a handful of companies that are NVIDIA's and Meta's, like, you know, less than 10 and so if you have a portfolio that's owning all of the junk that's up a lot, you know, good luck. 
Um, but I certainly want, wouldn't want to be hanging out there because I think revenues uh, are, and, and earnings are going to be hard to come by. On Tesla in particular, listen, it was a very uh, you know difficult one for us. It was bad timing when we talked about it on air, Scott. Um, and it was idiosyncratic. The world got really concerned about Elon's participation in Twitter, about his sales of Tesla stock in order to fund what was, you know, some people rumored to be margin calls going on at Twitter, um, you know. And so I, I put that in the bucket of overshoot, not only due to what was going on, you know, with rates and multiples and fears about inflation, but fears about what, were, what was going on with Elon. Um, and so really, we've seen a round trip, you know, back to where it was. Obviously, what were the things that changed in the intervening period of time? They dramatically slashed, uh, you know, the prices on their vehicles, both in China and in the U.S. You have the Inflation Reduction Act, which is now providing incentives. We get a number out this morning, I think six, over 16, 16 and a half million cars versus 15 and a half, which was closer to the consensus in terms of uh, new cars. And so you have a tailwind there as well. But keep this in mind, you know, just because I always like to shoot the, the, the viewers straight. This is a tiny position for us mm -hmm. relative to all the other positions that we've talked about. Um, you know, and so um, I do believe that electrification is a super cycle going on in the world. It's going to be a massive tailwind for a long time. I don't believe the OEMs who are making a couple thousand dollars of EBITDA car are going to be able to compete with Tesla making 10 or 12,000 a car. But you also should look at BYD and what they're doing on a global basis and what their global ambitions are. We're not smart enough to know how this plays out right now. It's not as easy a call for me as a Meta is or an NVIDIA is um, uh, or some of the other things that we own where we see real improvements and acceleration into the back half. Um, but I do think that the story about Elon, et cetera, is largely behind us. And people now see that this company may, in fact, have a big competitive advantage over the other OEMs. I mean, one of the things I would worry about if I were Ford or GM, I only make a couple thousand dollars a car to begin with. If Tesla cuts, you know, their prices by three, four thousand dollars a car, how the hell do I make any money? Well, that's why their multiples are, you know, I don't know, GM's got a six next to it, right? The debate is on as to whether Tesla deserves to have the multiple that it does. Um, some say it still deserves to be a premium to a GM or a Ford, but does it need to be as high as it is now? That, the jury in the market's still out on that. Rob, do you, you have something for, for Brad? Yeah, I had a question for Brad. I mean, I hate to be the party pooper here um, because we do have some tech exposure. I think we have it intelligently, Brad. But, uh, you know, are we really in a place where price doesn't matter in the stocks? Business execution is great, but are we in a place where price doesn't matter? And, you know, we have incoming inflation data. Let's say it accelerates because of China. Let's say there's some other drivers that maybe drive real rates up higher Again, with valuations nearing pre-pandemic peaks um, and, you know, trading in an environment that's not providing abundant liquidity, there's a change in the second derivative, the pace of maybe the pace of tightening, but liquidity, we haven't seen a turn in money supply. And if inflation doesn't de deliver, if it prices continue to escalate, aren't these high multiple stocks, no matter what they're doing with their businesses, incredibly vulnerable. NASDAQ's at 26 times broadly. So just curious as to your commentary on that. Yeah, no, and I think it's I think it's a fair point. Steve made the same point, you know, but if you look at this going in today, I think Meta was trading at 10 times EBITDA. 
Google was trading closer to 11 times EBITDA. You know, I showed this on air a lot last year, right? This is the 10-year average multiple for a basket of internet stocks and software stocks. And let me just read you the facts on that, right? We saw, you know, for example, uh, the peak multiple uh, for internet stocks at 19 times forward EBITDA. The average of the last 10 years has been 12 times. Um, you know, we troughed, or the average of the last, uh, uh, yeah, seven years or 10 years has been 12 times. We troughed, uh, you know, well below that, and now we're closer to nine times. For software, again, we bottomed at about 4.8 times. Over the last 10 years, we've been at about seven times, and now we're at about 6.2 times. So we've seen us close the gap off of the bottom, but we're not even back to the 10-year averages. Now, what's different? Over that 10-year period, the 10-year the, the, the was trading at about 2.6%. Today, we're at about 3.3%. So if you look at the impact that that should have, by our estimation, those multiples are still about 10% below the 10-year average. So I would say there are absolutely companies like Tesla, NVIDIA, et cetera, special situations where you have you know, multiples uh, that are much higher. But when you look at the basket of high-growth software and high-growth internet, it's bounced a lot off the bottom, no doubt about it. Um, but it's still trading below that 10-year average. So I think, you know, is Facebook at 10 times EBITDA? Is that, you know, nosebleed valuation? It doesn't feel that way to me. You know, um, we're on a roll. Can you hang with us for a little bit more? Sure. All right. I don't have anything else to do, Scott. All just right. hang out with you guys. You just bask in the glow of Meta today. I, 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 <laughs> that's what you really want to do anyway. We'll, uh, we'll step away. We'll, we'll come right back with Brad Gerson. We've got more to talk about. Plus, Steve Weiss, Scott, has a couple of new positions, too, that we'll get to next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. Uh, Brad Gerson, the founder and CEO of Altimeter Capitals, with us exclusively today. You can see he's uh, still with us. So Steve Weiss, I'm coming to you here before I go back to Brad, because for somebody who, you know, is, is still fairly negative on the market and doesn't think that a lot of this move in tech is necessarily legit, you have a funny way of representing that view. You're along the Qs, the SMH, and you bought more Palo Alto. Do yep. tell. Well, 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 frankly, Scott, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what I think the market's going to think. And uh, look, as I've said repeatedly, um, my first obligation is to protect capital. I think I did, frankly, an incredibly stellar job of that last year, being being bearish all year. I also said that because of that, I'll miss the turn. I made money in 08. It took me almost until 2010 to get back into the market because it's very difficult to make the turn. So I see momentum continuing uh, because what do you have now? You've been through most of your earnings, at least the earnings that matter aside from tonight. But I think you'll be fine there regardless of what the companies report. Um, and then what do you have? You have next Fed meeting. We know what they're going to say. They're going to say 25 bips at worst and maybe, you know, be more dovish and maybe not go at all. 
So until now, you get to the second half, when the Fed actions up to this point really start to take hold, I think it's party on. Now, you know, the difference between Brad and I, frankly, in addition to being in short sleeves, I'm sitting in Chicago now, and, you know, it's a lot colder, um, is that... Younger, better really, dressed, other than that, right. we, 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 and we get I'm, it. And, and I've known Brad for about a decade now, and I'd be hard-pressed to think of somebody that's a better growth investor than he is, uh, just through all the cycles. He's just wired. He sits in that community. He knows everybody. And he has the vision that as somebody who's not just a dedicated growth investor, frankly, that I lack. So where he's got the confidence to go in and buy a NVIDIA at those levels, um, you know, I don't. So, so I'm going to miss some things, and, and I do have a discipline in terms of what I'm willing to pay for certain mm-hmm. growth. Now, having said that, uh, I did buy some Microsoft because, hey, you know, it made the turn. So I bought a little. I added slightly. It is, I added to it, it is, Brad, trading higher today than it was after its earnings. You know, um, yeah. software is an interesting place to be, uh, Brad, right now. I think it's a good battleground in the market. You know, Microsoft certainly wasn't that positive about the current state of of software or where, you know, Satya Nadella, the CEO, sees it going over the next couple of years. He used the word the words difficult couple of years. You've got Snowflake, I think, is one of your larger positions still. You've got Okta, which is surging today on the back of a, a big upgrade. How should our viewers think about this space right here and now? Not, not to mention Salesforce and, and a lot of these other names. Well, um, first, let me just say Steve is stellar, did a stellar job last year, and I did not do a stellar job at Capital Preservation last year. So the fact of the matter is, you know, it's the scorecard at the end of the day, what we do for our clients that matter. And I know that we both, uh, you know, work hard uh, to, to get that done. So thanks for those kind words, Steve. I would say when you look at software, listen, AWS is going to report tonight. It's not good. It's not good what's going on at AWS. Satya started off the call at Microsoft and said, it's not good. 2023 is going to be a year of contraction in software. So at at Amazon tonight, you're going to hear three things. The corporations are making decisions slower in terms of big contracts. Number two, that every company is tightening their belt. Coming out of, you know, the excess of 20 and 21, now everybody's tightening their belt on digitization. And new startups are not getting funded, so they're not spending as much on AWS. So the question for the investor is, is that priced in? And what is Andy Jassy going to do on the other side? Are we going to hear him talk about efficiency 10 or 15 times tonight when it comes to the retail side of the business? I think that most of us who are software investors can look through this period. We understand what's going on. The best companies will be able to navigate it. We think that Snowflake will be able to navigate it, but certainly it's no longer a tailwind. It's not the voracious spend that we saw in 20 and 21, but we think that got more than discounted. Scott, let me correct the multiples I took you guys through just a little bit ago, because I think it's really important. You know I like to be accurate. On internet multiples, this is our basket of high-growth internet stocks. Over 10 years, they traded on average at 19 times EBITDA. They peaked during COVID in 21, at 44 times, 44 times versus 19 times average. Mm. They troughed at nine times, and now we're back to 12 times. So 12 times versus the 19 times average and 44 times peak. Now, let me do that for software, right? The the 10-year average was eight times revenue. 
We peaked during COVID at 16 times. We troughed last July at 4.8 times. We've traded back up to 6.2 times. So 6.2 times versus eight times a 10-year average. Again, this is these are our numbers. We try to do our best, uh, you know, in estimating what what those revenues are going to be for those companies. But to say that we're at all-time highs for internet or software is just not accurate. We're not even close to those peaks. And in fact, we're below the 10-year average. So, Josh, you know, given what Brad just said about Amazon, right? He used the words. This is what he said. It's not good, right? When you talk about cloud growth and, and AWS, Amazon's poised to post its slowest revenue growth in more than 20 years in overtime tonight. You hold, you hold that stock. Yes, Amazon has very specific idiosyncratic challenges that the other tech giants don't have. Um, it is, for example, one of the tech giants that actually under, underwent a leadership change in the midst of the pandemic and in this post-pandemic period. So you don't have Satya sitting there who's got the gravitas and the, and the history with investors in the big seat. You don't have Zuckerberg there. Uh, you don't have Tim Cook there. You have someone who really took over right before the worst period of time for the stock that we could remember. You have to go back to, I think, 2008 to, to find a worse uh, period. Uh, in addition, technically, it's a mess. This stock had a huge rally uh, off the low. It was like 80 bucks, and now it's 112 But look where it rallied back to, this declining 200-day moving average. I don't know if you guys can get this up for me while I'm talking, but um, that's the market basically saying, slow down. <laughs> you're you're not you're not meta, right? Like like this stock has not broken out even despite that rally, which I think illustrates just how long term that downtrend has been and how steep it's been. Uh, and Amazon, as I mentioned, even if they do two billion dollars in Q4, which should be their most profitable quarter every year, because remember it's e-commerce, uh, they still lost enough money in the prior three quarters of 2022 that I think they're negative a billion dollars on the year. I'll have to double check that, but I think that's what the full year will end up being. And they haven't lost money in a full year, again, for eight or nine years now. So it's a tough time in that stock. And for that reason, that's the one I'm way more worried about than Apple, which I already also own, or than Alphabet, which I, I think there are very specific issues here that don't get cured just because people fall in love with the NASDAQ again. Mm. Uh, Brad, I'm going to give you the last word, then I'm going to let you go. Got some stuff I got to get to before we, we say goodbye to our viewers today. But what's, what's your last message to us? Well, I, first, thanks for having me, Scott. It's good to, good to be here. But, you know, as I said at the start, this isn't a victory lap for us. Uh, we got a lot of digging out to do from, uh, you know, the tech wreck of last year. Uh, we're off to a decent start. But at the end of the day, all the hard work's done by these people leading these businesses. And, you know, uh, as you've heard me say before, I think that, you know, uh, why I get excited about AI, why we do as a firm when we're investing in new startups is because these technology innovations are the things that move humanity forward. I don't know what you're investing in if you're not investing in, you know, technology and these companies that have the ability to leverage AI on everything from improving healthcare to, you know, self-driving cars to uh, improving how we all make decisions. So. I think a lot of the benefits of AI are going to inure to companies like John Deere and how they, you know, do everything from spread fertilizers to plant seeds. This is a great thing for, uh, you know, uh, for our economy to have this kicking in. And we'll go through these periods, but we need to celebrate the fact that we kicked COVID's ass 
you know, that rates are normalizing and that we're, you know, we are the envy of the world when it comes to innovation. I'm j I get just as excited about investing behind a Series A startup that comes in here that's doing something really important as we do investing in these public companies that we need to show leadership and they're showing leadership. So it's not going to be a straight line up and to the right. It's a hard game. Uh, but, you know, we appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about a company we're excited about like Meta. No, love having you on. And I know our viewers enjoy hearing from you uh, as well. Thanks for being so generous with your time today. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, Scott. All right. That's Brad Gerstner, Altimeter, joining us. We're right back after this. All right. We are back. Uh, the gang's all here uh, because there's Apple. It's up 3% heading into that print tonight. You know, we didn't, we didn't really go deep on this, guys, but I just wonder if this is the one that we're really uh, going to be wondering about uh, after the, the bell in overtime tonight. You know, Bryn, what was a supply issue, now you hear little dribblings of, is it now demand, too, that we need to worry about? How are you feeling about Apple off to a pretty good start this year heading into overtime tonight? I think Tim Cook has just like flawlessly executed over COVID, over currencies. And so this is the, I really don't worry about Apple. I think that the 14 Pro, which is really the issue that people couldn't get, has been well telegraphed. And so I think they're gonna come in and deliver. So I think it's gonna be like a Microsoft that, yeah, maybe we see weakness. I don't think you're gonna get the full effect of China reopening, because that, you know, that opened, I think, right as the quarter ended. But I think that could bode well into Q2. So I'm not worried about it, it's solid. And once again, Tim Cook, how, how can you count him out ever? I, I, I hear you. Um certainly from an execution standpoint, but the, the macro, Rob, is the macro, right? They're expected to post their first revenue decline in, in four years. It just gives you an idea of the challenges, the issues, whether it's China, what was supply, as I said, has that morphed into a demand problem because of, of the macro? Will they simply pull forward the demand into the March quarter, what they missed out before? All of these things need to be answered to justify with the stock. What stock's back at like, what was it, 156? You can pull up Apple. Rob, answer that for me. Yeah, it's all about execution, right? And we own it. It's a core long-term holding. We're underweight, but we're and we're not adding to it. But let's be honest. They're, they've got great leadership. They have the capacity to do a lot of things because of the cash they have. They could continue to do blockbuster uh, share repurchases. So I, I don't know that the incremental dollar goes there for us. Um, especially given our view on uh, on technology, Apple's still trading at a at a premium yeah. valuation. I got, I got so, a little ahead of myself. It's 149 and change, obviously, as you're looking at it on your screen. But it's had a nice move uh, here to start the year. No, no doubt that it has. And, and, but but the thing is, with technology broadly, and Apple's, you know, Apple's a huge index component, right? So as goes the appetite. For tech, I mean, you even have Steve Weiss being seduced into buying tech, and there may be some interim upside. And I know Steve will pivot when he pivots. But for us, as long-term investors, this is not a sector we're adding to, except selectively and selectively based on price. As Brad said, SaaS companies are trading have gone from trading at 16 times uh, sales down to four times sales, and now they're at six. There's certain parts of the market that you can buy. It's a have and have not market. Mm -hmm. And I think Apple's probably in the middle there, at least in the short run. Josh, what's your view here, right? Stock's coming off its worst year since 08. We sort of know the 
bloated nature, if you want to refer to it that way, of what's plagued some of the other mega cap companies who are attempting to right size themselves. Apple hasn't talked about layoffs. Sure, they've talked about being smart about how they spend their money. But we need to hear from this company tonight to find out what's what's truly happening, because it's a little bit different than lumping it in with all of the other mega cap names. Yeah, I think it's look, I think it's high quality and it trades at a premium valuation because of that. And you either accept that or you don't. Uh, I think most of the market has accepted that. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a company that's about to report a fourth quarter earning, uh, earnings report that's going to bring its full year 2022 numbers to a flat year. It's like just not a great year for Apple. So you look at the stock having come down from its highs, and it makes perfect sense why it did. I don't think anybody would be surprised by that. Going forward, um, there are a lot of potential catalysts. We know that they're working very hard on being involved in, uh, in, in, I don't want to say, I don't even want to say metaverse, but enhanced reality, augmented reality, whatever you want to call it. There are new products currently being considered, developed. We don't know when they'll hit. But when you're an Apple shareholder, you always have that out on the horizon. And you're not paying ludicrously high multiples for that. You're just paying elevated multiples for that. In the meanwhile, you've got a company that's got the ability to buy back a ton of stock, uh, making Meta's $40 billion buyback look like child's play. Mm -hmm. You've got a dividend. You've got serious management. You've got Berkshire Hathaway with a massive stake ready to buy downdrafts in the stock. And I think, you know, it's, it's very reasonable to look at 149, 150 as an entry point. If you're not in it, most people are in it. So really what you're making the decision on is do you want to be overweight relative to right. the Qs or the right. SPY or equal weight or underweight? So well, I'm, I'm overweight. Right. And, I, right. and, I, and I've been involved with the stock for forever and nothing will change that on tonight's call. Maybe, maybe some answers tonight, right? It's Apple, it's Amazon. I hope everybody's going to join me tonight for that in overtime at 4 o'clock Eastern. It's Alphabet, Ford, Qualcomm, and Starbucks, too. So we've got shareholders, we've got experts, star analyst Dan Ives with us to break down Apple as all of that goes down in just a few hours' time. Cannot wait. Bryn, set us up here. Final trade. Uh, Albemarle, um, one of the top lithium miners in the world based in the U.S. As the world continues to move to, to EV, whether you're BYD, Tesla, GM, Ford, wind, doesn't matter to Albemarle shareholders because they're all going to need a ton all of right. lithium, secular tailwind. Yep, that's a Josh Brown name uh, from bygone times. Rob Seachin, quick, final trade. EXP, Eagle Materials, cement manufacturer, cheap. Steve Weiss. Palo Alto, they don't report to the end of February. It's in a hot spot. Stock's really depressed okay. in terms of price. Buy it. Josh, quick name. Uber, breaking out. All right, good stuff. I'll see everybody in overtime. The exchange with Kelly's now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind. 
just like Hacker has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.